This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello all and welcome to episode 455 of the Yellow Oil Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko. And today we will talk, well, what are we going to talk about? We haven't been on for a while, so I think there's a lot of more general stuff to discuss. Uh, either way, I'm joined by Matthias Huck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hey, Stefan. I am doing well. I am happy to be back talking Borussia Dortmund and... Uh, I think we both owe maybe not an apology, but at least an explanation as to why there's been a little bit I think it's an apology that we do owe, kind yeah. of. Yeah, so. I mean, we, I, I tweeted about it. I've had some people ask about it. Uh, Lars was kind enough to send us. We actually made Reddit, which is like, wow. <laughs> I mean, we're, we are obviously famous now. Right. Because uh, we were a Reddit topic for Dortmund fans. Um, and, well, first I was gone for a month for work and family reasons. And then it's almost like we waved at each other in the sky. Uh, <laughs> I was flying back from Europe and then, uh, Stefan, you were heading in the other direction. Yeah, it was almost, I think it was pretty close days wise. Two, uh, within two days, I believe. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, I did not pack my microphone or anything uh, because I went on vacation and then, of course, I also had to work for two weeks uh, not really much time but I did get to catch the Dortmund game live in the stadium which was nice so I've got that going for me so uh, I can tell you everything <laughs> I observed uh, in the super exciting 1-0 win against uh, 4-5 Wolfsburg um, but yeah Matthias I don't even know where to begin are we talking about transfers uh, are we talking about the general vibe are we talking about uh, the controversies surrounding Dortmund uh, or I don't know <laughs> there, there are just so many things um, so yeah um, obviously getting back to hosting the show not that easy of a transition for me so Matthias um, before I waffle on um, where do you want to start Well, I think, you know, we're obviously not going to go back and analyze every single match because that would be like a five-hour episode minimum uh, since probably more like eight hours since we take well over an hour usually per match day, uh, review, preview. Uh, but I would say, you know, the last episode, last time we talked, uh, or last time you talked, I wasn't even on this, was Bochum. Um, and so I think after it was that, pre Bochum, right? It was, was pre Bochum after the Cologne win. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I was <laughs> in Germany at that time. Um, so you know, Bochum happened, and then Heidenheim happened. Oh boy! And you know, it's kind of I would say kind of reviewing the trend of Dortmund since then because here's the weird thing: Dortmund are undefeated. Um, and are at a better position now than they were a year ago um, and uh, well ahead of the curve of where they were a year ago. That being said, that Heidenheim match was like the low point for me uh, and for a lot of people online. And, and that's where kind of that narrative began because Dortmund seems to be one of those teams that people create a narrative about and then that narrative never goes away. Uh, it's kind of like the Bremen match, <laughs> topical, from last season where Dortmund blew a 2-0 lead late, um, became like a constant, a constant, I don't know, club to beat Dortmund over the head with all season. And it was just, that's, Dortmund can't, can't get it done, can't uh, get it over the line. But of course, um, Dortmund recovered kind of spectacularly at that point. And I would say there's a certain parallel in that aspect that, um, well, the results have been better. Uh, in, in the league since then. I believe every single match has been won since then. Um, and uh, we'll leave Champions League a little to the side right now. <laughs> but but <laughs> overall, the, the trend, in my opinion, has been good. It's hard to argue that it's not been better um, because the results have been better. The performances, um, I would say 
it's not too much of a stretch to agree with pretty much what everyone has written and said that um, the last 45 minutes that we saw Dortmund play, which were the last 45 minutes against Union Berlin, uh-huh. were the best 45 minutes Dortmund have played this season. Um, and let's just hope that continues. So, I mean, in my opinion, the trend is is positive from here on out. Um, but uh, I, what do you think? Yeah, I think it it was always going to get better than in the very beginning because there was one major observation for me is that this team did not seem fit entering the season. I mean, Tessage and training staff always say as much just that the preseason preparation or the preparation for the season basically continue until like match day three, four, five or whatever um, because they have to prepare for a long season and of course uh, with the US tour... Um, the the preseason preparations weren't quite uh, perfect, let's say. But also, I think it was Julian Brandt who said that maybe not everyone did the utmost to be in the peak physical shape they needed to be in um, to start into the season. Um, now, obviously, I don't want to like point fingers right away at at certain players, um, but the the one player where it seemed like the most obvious already like from the preseason friendlies was actually Sebastian Allaire and I don't know if if uh, that is to do with his diagnosis and the season he's had and sort of just life circumstance um where he just isn't in the form that he needs to be in now I think he uh um scored a nice goal for Ivory Coast during the international break already um but apart from that I I just you know, I was surprised to see that he just completely fell off. There was just zero pace about him, uh, zero effort, and just like a general sluggishness, terrible first touches, and and just uh, for for a player so vital to Dortmund's system, you know, someone that that holds up possession and, and whatnot, uh, you know, also not really getting at the end of any chances really. Um, I was I was very worried about him and so I understood why Dortmund signed Fulkrug and obviously we were all saying pretty much the whole fan base is that in it in a vacuum the Fulkrug transfer is a very good one. Um but uh you know there are probably more pressing positions where Dortmund needed bolstering. Um but considering the form of Sebastian Allaire going into the season, I'm now actually really glad Dortmund have him, uh, especially due to the absence of the Africa uh cup later this or rather late yeah, later this season at the beginning of uh, next year, I think it is. Because uh yeah, Sebastian Allaire's form is very worrying. Um and yeah, I I'm still not entirely happy with Emre Can being the team captain because uh his um you know, performances have been lackluster at times. You know, we saw some bit of old Ramadran now in recent weeks. I would say he has, uh, you know, managed to hold the slip and, uh, you know, recover some form. Um, but I'm taking that right now gladly because I feel like this captain's ambent remo- removed from Marco Royce has lifted something off him because in the Bundesliga... I think behind Julian Brandt, he is now um, the second best uh, creator with uh, three goals and two assists. So if you uh, count those together, Julian Brandt sits with uh, six goals and assists. He he has scored two and assisted four. Mark Reus scored three, assisted two. And then, of course, next one uh, is already Daniel Malen, who has uh, scored three goals and Füllkrug behind that with two goals and one assist. And uh, yeah, then it's not surprising that the next best one is uh, Mats Hummels with two uh, league goals already. Um, so yeah, point being is um, maybe one observation from the Wolfsburg game is that Marco Reus right now is very much loved and adored um, by fans. Uh, he looked, you know, I was uh, right next to the yellow wall, uh, so on the uh, southeast end. Uh, very up high and uh, very good place to really observe uh, what is going on in the field. And Marco Reus really does look like currently one of the players that gives the most shit about what is going on in the football field. He is working really hard, really diligently, 
And of course, scored that goal in, in that game uh, to seal the three points. And uh, yeah, afterwards, he was singled out by the fans. You know, they were chanting his name. And then the players, his teammates sort of pushed him in front of the other wall. And, uh, you know, he did a nice bow. And yeah, it was a very emotional moment, of course. Um, but it's all to say, Matthias, that um, not all is bad. Um, I personally was glad to see Marco Royce play in the flesh. <laughs> Uh, see see in the flesh Marco Royce play and uh, of course uh, see him play well again uh, even though he is right now not the team captain but uh, yeah having him in there play well is really important because um, I think I was talking a lot about uh, how lethal Daniel Malin and Karim Adeyemi were going to be this season now um, unfortunately Karim Adeyemi has sort of gone off the deep end Matthias do you have an explanation for that? why he is not in form right now. No, I don't. I mean, uh, it was interesting, you know, he was nominated for Germany's under-21s, and just like Mukoko, and Mukoko played really, really well. Uh, I believe it was against Bulgaria. And Adeyemi, when you mentioned players that aren't fit, and when, when Julian Brandt, which is ironic that Julian Brandt uh, said that, because you go back a few years, you probably could put Julian Brandt on that list. Yeah, but shout um, out Julian Brandt. I feel like oh, yeah. he, he gets for it sure. now. 100%. It's almost like that bad season um, and that that interview. I remember you shared the interview with me. You're like, here, this DAZN, I think it was DAZN, um, podcast that people, it was rather eye-opening. Um, but but he gets it. I think I it's Kicker Meets the Zone or something oh, like that. Oh, Kicker Meets the Zone. Yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, But when you mentioned players that were lacking fitness... Yeah, I mean, Alea is very clear. I'm going to give him a bit of a pass because, I mean, first of all, second half of last season, he played really, really well. And, you know, I mean, a year, uh, 12 months ago, he was battling cancer. So you're going exactly. to have ups and downs. I know people, I am people uh, who have, um, you know, chronic, major chronic illness issues. And so you have good days, you have bad days. It's just the way it is. And it's a road, a long road for recovery. And you can't forget that he's also a prime athlete. So there's there's really no rest day in that sense, especially in, in the modern game. Uh, but Adeyemi, I'm not giving a pass to. I think that is... Now, he was still making the runs. It's not like he wasn't fast. But he just... Uh, it, it reminded me of... I don't remember which season it was. Like the first half of the season, um, I think it was Jaden Sancho's last season where that first half of the season, Sancho was just not even present, it seemed. And then, of course, second half of the season, he had probably his best second half of the season ever. Um, so, and, and Adeyemi could do that again. I mean, he did it last season. Hopefully he can do it this season. But to have Marco Roy step up. And the other one that I'm really, really genuinely happy about is Daniel Mayen. I'm very happy that he is continuing to perform well and that he seems to have found his sweet spot. Um, I believe he became a father this year um, and that has really helped center him. He's a very quiet, introverted, humble person, which are people that I like, um, which I feel like the sport needs more of, to be perfectly honest at times. And so I'm happy to see him be happy. Uh, there are players that you know, when we look at it, you know, Adeyemi, I don't know what the issue is. I think it's it's youth. I think it is inexperience. I think at times he he gives off an air of... Aloofness? I was going to say petulance. But yeah, disinterest. Like, yeah, whatever. Uh, kind of the same criticism I have had for many years of Giovanni Reina. You know, Gio Reina also, he was either on or it seemed like he just didn't give a shit. And I'm curious to see what comes of him now. I mean, Gio Reyna coming back is really good for both him, the U.S., and for Borussia Dortmund. And that'll put more pressure on Adeyemi. I think that's good because Gio Reyna can also be a creative spark so that, you know, you can give Brandt a bit of a break, you can give Royce a bit of a break, and you have a little bit more rotational options. Um, whereas I don't fully agree with you on not being happy that John is made the captain because I can see him in a leadership role that isn't a performance related issue. I can, I can see that, that he's, he's been a little up and down this season. 
I feel the few games that he didn't play has probably helped him because maybe he was also tired. Uh, I was very happy to see Zalia Achan actually play well when he yeah, came in. He was decent. And, and, and I have, you know, made no bones about it. I like Zalia Achan. I think he's a player that Dortmund need, a player type that Dortmund need, just like Dortmund need a Emre Can. And they are just, they're a perfect complement that you can swap them in and out at times. Um, I'm also very happy with Mats Hummels, and I think he fully deserved to go back to play for Germany because he is one of the best center backs in the Bundesliga. And that's awesome to see. I'm very happy for him. Now, um, you know, who knew that Julian Riasson was Lionel Messi? That <laughs> I, nobody saw that coming. Um, I think Ben Sabaini, it's still too early to tell for me because he's finding his feet with a new squad that, Always takes a little bit of time. Can we talk about this bullshit red card? You know, he's going to oh. be suspended uh, against Bremen on Friday, obviously. Yeah. That but was He was kicking the ball away, but the other team already had a different ball to throw in. Yeah, and I it feel was like, too much. Yeah, like Fingerspitzengefühl is yeah. what we call it. You know, the referee needs to be a little bit more sensible. You can't just take someone off out of, you know, a high-profile game, which currently I would say uh, Dortmund against Union Berlin is. For like kicking a ball away like that. I'm sorry, it wasn't even like he booted it on the stands. He just like sort of kicked it away a little. So I I don't know. Um to to me it was it was just complete nonsense. But um yeah. Uh the real I agree, uh, but he shouldn't have done it. No. And I, I also said agree. as much. He said it was it was the the ref don't, should have should, thought a little bit, but you know. Yeah. Never give the ref the chance to even book you. Correct. For that. Correct. Don't you know, if you don't want to get a speeding ticket, don't speed. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, it's... Clipping it's, this for my wife. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, funny story. I actually, when I was in, in Europe uh, now, I had a rental car and I got a call from my credit card company saying, hey, there's a $30 charge from the rental car company. Did you make this charge? I'm like, no, I didn't. And then I got an email with my picture in it. Um, <laughs> where apparently I went six kilometers too fast outside of Tria uh -oh. and boom, that was 27 euros, uh, which is pretty cheap, but I don't tend to get tickets. So, but yeah, I mean, I was like, oh, come on, really? S six kilometers too fast? Cause it was one of those, I just took my foot off the pedal, like two seconds too late to slow down naturally. But at the end of the day, if I don't want to get a speeding ticket, I just shouldn't speed. <laughs> you know, in Ben Sabaini, he shouldn't have done what he did. But at the same time, yeah, I think that was that was kind of a bullcrap call. But, you know, Riasson, I'm fine with it, especially against Bremen. Put Riasson uh, on the one side and you'll have uh, Wolf on the other side, I think, think we'll be fine. I'll To be perfectly honest, um, looking at this squad and their performances... Um, you know, Zabitza, I think, will be back in this match. I mean, he played for Austria during the week and I think kicked the the goal that secured their qualification for the Euros. Um, you know, people are saying, well, you know, they haven't adequately replaced um, Jude Bellingham. And, you know, in the season before, it was like, they haven't adequately, adequate, adequately, good Lord, um, replaced Holland. Fair enough. <laughs> However, how, would you, how do, do you adequately replace two players that will be fighting for Ballon d'Ors for the next 10 to 15 years? You know, I mean, we're talking about as if Dortmund had, you know, Messi and Ronaldo in their youth on the same squad and then sold them for a boatload of money and couldn't find another Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, that's really what we're talking about in Holland and Bellingham. And Bellingham, in particular, because you can always find someone to score goals. And obviously, Dortmund didn't have a problem with that in the second half of last season. But what Bellingham would bring, and, and his impact at Real Madrid has been phenomenal. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And he's playing in a slightly different position. But it's kind of what I talked about at the beginning of the season. You have to take that money ball approach and, you know, taking lines out of the movie that they were trying to replace people like Johnny Damon uh, at the time, 20 plus years ago at the Oakland A's in the aggregate. So you can't find the exact same player because you can't 
buy that camp pl- that kind of player. You either don't have the money, or in this case, there just isn't another player like Jude Bellingham on the market. Um, that being said, Felix Mensah you know, has not gotten on base yet. Um, you know, he's had he's been hit and miss. He's had some matches where he was bad. He's had some matches where he played really, really well. Um, you know, I would say Zabitza is also these are players that are trying to find their role within the team and develop your favorite word automatisms yeah. with everybody around them. And so to me, it's just a matter of just give them time. You have to give them time. You can't just plug and play um, and replace a Bellingham or a Holland. It just simply doesn't work. That is that is outside of the scope of realism. Um, I mean, you look at Bayern for the one season, they didn't have Lewandowski. You know, they weren't the same. They could not score the goals. Now they have Harry Kane, but they dropped over 100 million euros on him, which isn't overly typical of Bayern to drop that kind of money on a player at that age. You know, because Harry Kane's not 24. You know, he's not 22 or 21. If you look that's at a Holland not a money ball or Bellingham, they're not no. going to give give the big no. return on investment. No. Obviously, no, that's a New York Yankees type deal. That's a that's an LA Dodgers type deal in the sense of you're just going to spend big cash to buy someone near the tail end of their career where they're really at the peak, and you know you're it's a diminishing returns. You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, Harry Kane in the next few years will not be like he is now. He's just not. That's that's the way it is. Um, so, you know, Dolman had to kind of build it a little bit differently. So for me, the the position, to be perfectly honest, I have the most concern with is whoever plays next to Mats Hummels. Because Niklas Zula hasn't seemed quite on top of his game. And I feel like Schlotterbeck has actually done better this season than last season. I think overall he's been pretty good. Uh, he played really well. Uh, was it last match or the match before? I can't remember. Him and Ben Sabayini had a very good match. And then Zaliochan also kind of shied to the left. And they really played well. I want to say that was the match before that, but I can't, I can't remember for sure. And so... I thought Ben Sabayini played well against Milan. For what yeah. it's worth. And Schlotterbeck, yeah, I, I thought, was okay, too. Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't think we can really sit here and go, that's horrible, that's horrible, that's horrible, that's horrible. There are some issues. And I think, for me, the biggest issue is the final third. Like, that that last creative pass to score the goals. Now, in the last few weeks, it's come. But before that, it wasn't really there. And I think Royce coming into his own again, which is just amazing to see. Uh, Gio Reyna coming back. I think those will be lifts for them as well. And I think Donny Mahan can can perform in that way too if, if he needs to. But it really is a stark contrast right now. And I think this is the major point of concern of Dortmund without Brandt, Dortmund with Brandt. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in creativity in the final third and that that decisive pass. But again, I think with fitness and and, and automatisms, uh, that that will also start to flow better. I think Zabitza will come to his own. So I I don't have major concerns, honestly, in the Bundesliga. I think Dortmund are on a good path of development. There's still plenty to do. They need to play two times 45 minutes <laughs> well. Um, and, you know, if we just look at the Union-Berlin match, because that was the last one, that first half was also just really weird. Let's be perfectly honest. I mean, there was, you know... It was, was it insane. F- five goals decided by VAR. Or there were five goals scored, three of them, two were not given. And then the penalty, which I'll be honest... That was a really soft penalty to give. In my opinion, that was a bit extreme. Um, because then you could make the argument a few minutes earlier when Fulkuk was bundled over. You know, I mean, if we're if we're gonna go like that level of minutia, 
uh, I think it was a, it was a little bit uh, difficult. And the problem is with all those interruptions, you can't build up a flow, which is exactly what Union Berlin want and exactly what Dortmund can't use. And so in that instance, you know, I'm not surprised the first half uh, ended with Union Berlin ahead, I believe, at that point. And so um, it just the way the ref called it, the way the interruptions were, it played to Union Berlin's strengths, which aren't many this season. And definitely hurt Dortmund because there was no rhythm. And Dortmund are a rhythm team. Any attacking team is a rhythm team. And they just had no chance of getting a rhythm. They had it in the second half. And they just blew the doors off of Union Berlin in the second half. You know, I was actually surprised to see how passive Union Berlin were uh, for the most stages of the game. Now, obviously, <clears throat> they had a few moments, uh, especially in the beginning, uh, where, of course, uh, Ruben Gosens also scored. Um, that equalizer where... Um, you know, Dortmund scored, I think it was Fulkrug of a corner kick, right? You know, sort yep. of typical striker's goal, just somehow got it over the line. And then, uh, yeah, like on right on the flip side, kick off on Jumbelin, storm forward, create a corner kick and score from that. I think Fulkrug also deflected it. Yeah. Um, you know, that was that was quite interesting. Then we have the 8 million VAR interruptions. I think we had six minutes of added time. Uh, in between, we had, of course, that penalty uh, from from Bonucci. Um, Dortmund, I think, uh, ha- had this free kick goal uh, that was chalked off where Marco Reus sort of uh, scored himself or Füllkrug, I think, just slightly deflected it anyhow. Either way, in my view, it should have been offside whether he touched it or not because uh, then you sort of become active. Uh, but, uh, yeah, th- that's besides the point. Um, what is, however, good... Um, that Dortmund then came out of the locker rooms and showed a determination that just completely crushed Union Berlin. And I don't know what happened exactly to Union Berlin because I remember watching them in the first two match days and like, uh, and just they they felt inevitable and it, it looked like they were going to just win every game pretty much. <laughs> I don't know why, but all of a sudden you look at the the table and they're. Closer to the bottom, they have now lost uh, five in a row. And my word, <laughs> Nico Schlotterbeck just <laughs> taking aim. Uh, what a what a strike! I I feel like in the in the last couple of weeks uh, we we saw a lot of memorable goals, and that Schlotterbeck one certainly was one. And of course, uh, you know the equalizer was uh, was a great goal. And uh, I think even better though. Dortmund's corner attack, and uh, everyone is, of course, pointing it out. But uh, you know, why shouldn't we talk about it? Uh, first of all, the 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 one-two basically between I think it was uh, Brandt and Royce. <laughs> you know, long clearance by by Brandt that uh, Royce then uh, puts down and and runs forward, and uh, you know, Niklas Füllkrug pointing toward Brandt because Füllkrug was on the left side of the attack and uh, ha- you know drew drew an opponent with him and then telling Royce basically where to pass the ball and uh, him finding then Julian Brandt who made the run to slot at home um, was an amazing counter-attack and just goes to show what this team is capable of um, if they were to win the ball up high a little bit more often and uh, this is maybe the, the one criticism I have is that Dortmund's pressing is nowhere near as crisp as I want it to be, and uh, they do not create enough chances in transition, considering the player profiles they have on the field, where they, I think they're absolutely capable of doing that, but for whatever reason. Maybe it's a lack of automatism, but also I think it's down to coaching and where and how Dortmund press. Um, has me not impressed, <laughs> Matthias, but uh, nevertheless... Um, this goal and of course the Riasson goal against Hoffenheim uh, by um, the the, Sch- the Schlotterbeck and the Riasson goals totally standout goals that we would probably talk about in our season review should we record one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, but overall I'm I'm fairly happy because the reaction uh, in in that to to that first chaotic half was just uh, really good and uh, Dortmund sort of pulling their foot down and and playing good football. 
um, was absolutely refreshing. And uh, what I also liked is I think Dortmund started with uh, Bino Gittens in that game on the left side. And uh, what yep. worked sort of well against Wolfsburg where it was a lot of isolation play on the left or right side where Bino Gittens was and then tried to dribble against one fullback. Now, that didn't work out against Union Berlin because Union Berlin were obviously playing with a back five and uh, try to um, really counter Dortmund's width and to then bring on, um, I think it was uh, Gio Reyna uh, later on and, of course, Julian Brandt off the bench um, because both sides on the bench um, to then have more creativity in the middle of the field just did Dortmund worlds of good. And uh, to me, getting Girona back is actually huge because you, you talked about it earlier. The lack of creativity in the center of the field right now is often glaring, even with players like Royce and Brandea. I feel like there's still something missing. And I really do hope uh, that Girona is going to, uh, you know, help with with the sort of through balls towards the striker because that is certainly one of his strengths and I really hope he will be able to, you know, play more frequently soonish without any injury setbacks. And I say this um, before he's playing his second international game with the United States, so I'm hopeful he doesn't pick up an injury there. But uh, yeah, once we've weathered the game against Bremen on Friday night, I think... Uh, Dortmund are on a on a relatively good path to uh, play a decent season once again. No, I agree. Um, it's uh, it's looking positive. The trend is positive. I mean, the one thing I've told myself this season uh, after the first few weeks is basically ignore everything you see on social media <laughs> about Borussia Dortmund for the first 48 to 72 hours after a match, good or bad, uh, because it's pure emotion at that point. And even when Dortmund are playing well, it, you know, I just, the, the the negativity within the social media landscape, honestly, just drives me nuts. It's it just, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I wish it weren't that way, but obviously that's simply the way it is these days. Um, and, uh, so Dortmund itself, you know, who don't shy away from being self-critical, um, you know, I mean, Mats Hummels is definitely not the type of player who doesn't say when he's, um, critical of something. So for him to then come out and say also that these were the best 45 minutes Dortmund have played this season, uh, I think says a lot. And like you said, just the, the confidence they had, there was no, no shrinking violets, no like, woe is me. They came out and they dominated the second half and they took it to Union Berlin and absolutely deserved the win. I, even against Hoffenheim and Hoffenheim played better than Union Berlin and obviously had chances and did well. But for 60 minutes of that match, Dortmund were the better side. Um, and came out winners. So I really liked how Dortmund reacted to that red card, by the way. Yes. How they yeah. tightened up in defense and, and made life really hard for Hoffenheim um, to, to attack then. You know, I think uh, the. I think it, who is now the, the Hoffenheim coach? Is this Pellegrino Materazzo? I think it is, right? It is. Because um, remember, Hoffenheim and Stuttgart swapped coaches. Yeah. And, and somehow Stuttgart uh, got the better end of that bargain. Um, but. Yeah, he was like, yeah, well, usually uh, having a one-man advantage is an actual advantage, but this time it felt like it wasn't an advantage, felt like a disadvantage, because it sort of uh, sharpened the minds of Dortmund players, and they defended a little bit better, and then, of course, uh, yeah, Riasson ending uh, the game in the fashion he did is just um, flat-out heroic, and... Uh, I feel like Riasson is playing even better right now than he was already last season. I feel like there's a bit more confidence to him. And uh, he low-key has some footballing skills as well. And uh, he is more and more um, feeling uh, the, the confidence and the comfort level to uh, pull off some, some nice things. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with him sort of establishing himself as Dortmund's uh, right back. Uh, if not left back, if he has to play on, on that position uh, 
But uh, yeah, obviously so far this season I've not been overly impressed with Marius Wolf. Let's see how he is going to play against Werder Bremen. But um, yeah, I thought he's been a bit of a liability actually, which is a shame because uh, last season he was uh, such a strong player for such a long time. But uh, for whatever reason, he is lacking the rhythm. His passing isn't quite there. He is making weird giveaways and, and you know, stumbles the ball away every now and then. Uh, I'm not entirely sure um, what's going on with him, but uh, yeah, wish uh, he can find some for some form uh, sooner than later because he's shown that he can be a very uh, impactful player for Dortmund as well. So um, that's that's at least the, the good part. No one in this team right now um, is completely unproven uh, except for I would say uh, Mecha. Um, because even Zabitzer in the past has shown that he is uh, con can consistently be a very good player. I've not seen that from Metscher yet at uh, Wolfsburg, and so I'm not entirely sure uh, where this is going. But um, that all being said, um, there are some glimpses, after all, from Metscher now in the last couple of games where I'm seeing some positivity footballing-wise, because what's very important of him is the creative part, and, uh, you know, just... In the final third, or the sort of the, the the beginning of the final third, where you receive a ball as a, as a number eight, and then you need to turn around toward goal and and find a pass quickly, not wait around, not look around, you know, but sort of be knowing what you're doing. Um, that's very important, and he has done that a couple of times. Also, switches of play very important that you can play a precise ball to your wing player if you're on the right side of the field to play on the left side of the field or vice versa. Um, these are things that he has done a couple of times now and uh, are very important to me. You know, I want a number eight like in Ilkay Gunuan, someone who can always play that killer ball. Um, Metra obviously is not quite there yet, but at least there are a couple of glimpses here and there um, where he's doing better Um I think there's also a lot of criticism towards his effort and his body language um, where it wasn't where it needed to be. But I feel like that has picked up as well because I think he is one of the main culprits of not being in peak physical shape. So I feel like the the playing time has helped him too. But yeah, still, still a cloud to me over that player that might never really quite go away. Um but overall, Matthias, I just feel like there just needs to be some more gelling and this team will just play better due to the individual skill. But um, I also think we have to admit that, you know, from the tactical standpoint, it is not like Dortmund right now have a big tactical edge due to what they do in the fields against opponents like they had under the club years. I think these times are more or less over and... Um, yeah, I, I wish Dortmund were playing a little better uh, when it comes to their own possession and uh, in, in their counter-pressing. These are two aspects where I wish Dortmund could play the ball a little bit faster, uh, pass it around better, create more triangles. And likewise, in the counter-pressing, I wish they press a little bit higher and a bit more intensity and wouldn't leave uh, massive gaps. But uh, these things are at least improving uh, recently. So the, the trends you know, until I can complain again next <laughs> next time, um, have, have been showing up again. And I mean, it is funny that Dortmund are by far the best team in the calendar year 2023 right now. I don't have the table in front of me, but I've seen it quite recently that uh, we're, we're first in that table by quite a margin. And uh, like we said at the end of last season, if Dortmund just managed to somewhat replicate... Um, the Rückrunde of last season, uh, we will be fine. And uh, right now it looks like Dortmund will be okay going forward. Now, um, going okay is one thing, but the other thing is, of course, Dortmund have to digest one of the most heartbreaking losses in a title race. And so naturally that only, at least in my case, uh, increases the craving to win first place. Now, I think we're level on points with Bayern Munich. Um, Bayer Leverkusen look <laughs> like the current favorites, honestly. And VfB Stuttgart are just on a on an amazing run. Now, with Stuttgart, you never know if it will continue. And with Bayer Leverkusen, you're almost certain that they can't win the league because they are Bayer Leverkusen. Um, unless there's some 
strong Xabi Alonso voodoo magic going on here. But Matthias, I have to ask, looking at how the season has gone so far and seeing that probably the Champions League campaign is ending sooner than uh, we all hoped, <laughs> um, do you think another title run for this Dortmund team is on the cards or would that be uh, too naive right now? I think it's absolutely on the cards. I don't see why they wouldn't in terms of the Champions League. Well, first of all, with Bayer Leverkusen, um, you know, a few years ago, Marco Rose was Herbstmeister with Gladbach. And I don't think Gladbach won the won the Bundesliga title in the last few years. So unless I uh, skipped a year. So, yeah, it, it's pretty early and it's Leverkusen. <laughs> um, you know, it's calling them like we've seen them for 40 years. Uh, and VfB Stuttgart, yeah, they're on a great run. Um, so the runs like that can peter out. I mean, we saw it with Freiburg last season um, to a degree. Also Union Berlin, they just couldn't quite keep it up that long. So we'll see. I think Dortmund have every chance of challenging for the title. It'll come also down to what Bayern what what they end up doing. You know, Bayern also are relatively thin in some key areas, mainly central defense, uh, which which could come back to bite them. Maybe not against Poison Moonstone, the DFB Pokai, <laughs> but um, where they played with no nominal center back or no trained center back. Uh, but in the Bundesliga, obviously you can't quite go that extreme because you will lose. Um, with Dortmund in the Champions League, in my opinion, I was disappointed for two reasons. I was disappointed um, because I think against Milan, Dortmund could have won. And I think against PSG, and it was said afterwards, they were just, I don't know. They, it's almost like they thought Neymar and Messi were still on that team which they weren't. And this PSG side for me is one of the weaker PSG sides over the years. And obviously that comes with a certain asterisk behind it. I feel like Dortmund played at the Parc de Prince or whatever the fuck it's called, uh, like Union Berlin played in the Westfalen show yeah. this weekend. Yeah, they were. They seemed scared. They seemed tepid. And But in the moments when they put PSG under pressure, PSG crumbled. Like... It was like, oh, crap, what do we do? And Dortmund all of a sudden had chances in the second half. If they would have just done that from the get-go, I honestly think Dortmund could have at least gotten a draw, maybe even a win out of it. And with Newcastle, who knows? You know, who knows what to expect there right now? So I think the Champions League is still on the cards. It is an incredibly difficult group. But, you know, I I wouldn't dis discount it just yet. Uh, I also wouldn't discount that, you know, maybe don't want end up in the Europa League or no Europe after the group stage. It's a very difficult group. So, you know, it could end any one of those three ways. He says most obviously because there is no other option than to have any of those options. Um, yeah, like but, Franz Beckenbauer famously said, there are only two outcomes, win, lose or draw. Yeah, yeah. but the the some some of the things, you know, when you talked about tactics with Dortmund... I will say a few things that I do like. Um, I have seen from Tezic and his staff tactical flexibility where they've changed like their build-up play in situations and it got better. They made changes that significantly improved the performance. So they obviously understand the game. They obviously understand when to make changes, how to make those changes, and those changes creating positive outcomes. The other thing is... In my opinion, Dortmund are more stable defensively. Um, they seem more solid, uh, which obviously they're playing a little... I'm not going to say they're playing defensive. They're not playing defensive. But when they have like that double screen, the double pivot screen with Nemecha and Echan and Emre Can, that kind of in front of the defense, they're going to be a little bit more solid. Now, that does come at the cost of maybe losing some attacking creativity. And maybe the decision has to be made. You either need to press more aggressively as a team high up, or you need to drop back into a midfield press and hit teams on the counter. Because then you're playing to both your strengths. 
at times it seems like they're trying to do both at the same time and it doesn't just work. The kind of echoing what you said about the the team press not quite being there yet, but that can take time. So um, the fact that Dortmund have 17 points or two points behind Leverkusen, they're equal on points with Bayern who are third. Um, now goal difference will always be in Bayern's favor, but Dortmund have significantly better goal difference now than they did a year ago. So again, the trend is positive. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for coming on, Matthias. I had a lot yeah. of fun talking about this. Any other things we want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> I was just, I was just kidding because uh, that was such yeah, a good, yeah. good point to end. But Matthias, I know it sounded like the end of the podcast. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we've got a Bremen game coming up. Yeah, we do. In a few days. I think we need to talk about the um, scheduling here. And there are two things to address. So apparently uh, the zone offered for Dortmund to play on Sunday instead. And also the game was scheduled on the Friday after an international game where players, a lot of players actually have to travel, um, you know, to the United States and back and, and whatnot. Um, and just across the world in general, because uh, who knows uh, where everyone went. Um, I don't know why we're still having a Friday game after an international break. And I understand that the zone or whoever wants their extra game, just put it on the Saturday parallel to the Zweite Bundesliga game. Just make it the, you know, after after the top spiel, just make it an 8.30 p.m. kickoff or whatever. I don't care, but do away with this Friday game. The players have so many games already. They're so injury-prone as is. And I don't even know what the benefit is because it's obviously going to make your product more shitty in so many different outcomes um, that you have to have this Friday night game because the zone paid a lot of money for it. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure um, if Dortmund could have played on Sunday and if, if they could have, they obviously should have. However, um, Matthias, I'm overall just vexed that uh, we still have this very silly scheduling for what is obviously greed. Well, yeah, and it seems like Dortmund, uh, and, and, you know, these are black and yellow tinted glasses, but over the, the last few years, at least, it seems like Dortmund always gets this weird scheduling thing on a Friday when, honestly, when you look at the Sunday 5.30 game, it's Heidenheim against Augsburg. Like, if you're going to have a Friday game now, put Heidenheim against Augsburg on the Friday night. Like, because who gives a shit? I, I wasn't um, even aware of that. Can I just quickly interject yeah. to say what the actual fuck are they doing over there? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird constellation. It's not like the DFL and so on didn't realize that Heidenheim getting Augsburg is probably not going to be a top of the table clash. Um, <laughs> even early, but yeah, I agree. Why not just move it to a, a same time, eight thirty p.m. Uh, on Saturday? I it just I I don't get it, but you know it's it's frustrating. I mean, certain players aren't going to have an issue with it. You know, Adeyemi, Mukoko, and Kubel are ba all back in training because their matches all got postponed because. As um, coincidence would have it, all of them were supposed to play against Israel. And obviously, for very obvious reasons, those games are currently not taking place. Um, and then, but you still have Giorena who's playing. You still have a lot of Germany players for Dortmund, which is an interesting development under Nagelsmann um, that are uh, going to play against Mexico. And they're in North America right now, which can I can I just say, dear DFB, what the fuck was that all about to do a U.S. tour in the middle of the domestic season? Do it in the summer when nobody really cares or do it in the early break. But to do it now, just oh, that's rough. And then those players are going to come back. 
after being in North America for four or five days, dealing with jet lag, and then they get to play a Friday night game. I mean, it's just... Well, it's better <sighs> to play the Friday night game if you have jet lag. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point, actually. Uh, better than the early game. But that being said, um, now here, old man yelling at the cloud moment from myself... Yeah. Is that tonight, so the game is happening in Philadelphia, is tonight, and obviously I'm not fucking going because I'm, like everyone fucking else in Philadelphia, for the most part, is watching the Phillies because they are having a playoff game, and guess what? There's this thing called the Sports Complex, so they're, they're playing in the Eagle Stadium in the link, and uh, the Citizens Bank Park um, is right across the street. So 45,000 people will be in the baseball stadium and probably even more because, you know, it's it's a massive game. It's a playoff game. It's um, the round before the World Series. So, yeah, one could say this is kind of important. And uh, on the other, across the street, then you will have a sellout crowd of, I don't know, 60, 70,000. I'm not entirely sure what maximum capacity is of uh, uh Mexico fans and then Germany fans and uh, neutrals who just wanted to go to the game to see them play, but I think it's sold out. And then right next to it is also the Wells Fargo Center, which is uh, where the Flyers will play. Now, obviously, that won't be a sellout because they suck, um, but uh, in theory, that could... And the season just started. And the season so. just started, but that could be potentially another 10,000, maybe 70,000 people or so. I don't know, but either way, it is going to be a gigantic clusterfuck um, tonight here in Philadelphia, and uh, I'm not entirely sure. Even more than usual, Stefan. Yes, ah. even more than usual. Um, <laughs> and I can say I I lived outside of Philly for a number of years, so I I know I know how wonderful that can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I'm saying is, is this is just very annoying to to me personally. Also, I'm not going to watch the Germany game because I have better things to do. Look at me, Matthias. I'm now I'm I'm volunteering to watch baseball because this Phillies team is actually kind of awesome and it's 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 fun <laughs> to watch. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the way I've changed is is it's frightening to be honest. It is frightening, but uh, no, to be honest, going to Citizens Bank Park to watch uh, baseball has been fun a uh, fun activity uh, of my wife and I you know just uh, having a having a shack burger and and watching them slug the balls into I don't know where uh into the Philly skyline most most likely uh yeah it's it's fun you know I can't deny it still not quite sure if I would describe baseball as an actual sport more a game. Um, but that's besides the point. Careful now. <laughs> Careful now. I can feel the thin eyes cracking <laughs> yeah, under <I> your feet. <laughs> but that all being said, it's 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 good fun. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, I used to just uh, lay on the couch late at night and watch the World Series because I always loved the tension of it. Um, but yeah, now it's it's nice to um, be close enough to, to care about it. Uh, more closely and uh, you know obviously I'm a homer uh, the Philly fanatic is obviously uh, the best mascot in the world there's just no ways around it um, I, I've actually written about him briefly in uh, my Borussia Dortmund book that I wrote <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah uh, just him shooting uh, hot dogs <laughs> into the stands with his golf cart converted Hot dog cannon is just one of my absolute favorite things in the world. But uh, yeah, uh, now we are very far away from talking about Borussia Dortmund. But uh, last point is just uh, the scheduling is very nonsensical. And uh, I'm not entirely sure why Germany are playing Mexico in the United States. But, you know, maybe someone smarter than me can answer that. But point being is playing then away from home in Bremen. After that is all nonsensical and I cannot make a serious prediction about that game because the Bundesliga, the DFL themselves aren't serious. So how am I supposed to do that? Well said. Well said. Last When I lived in Philly, which is now uh, 11 in years Philly ago. Or outside of Philly? Outside, outside of Bucks County. Um, Doylestown. Um, I just unfortunately had to drive through Philly to get to places, but, uh, and, and Philadelphia is a horrible place to live when you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. It's a horrible place. Yeah, obviously. 
I think I, mean, I think even Dallas is a horrible place to live if you're a Cowboys fan. He, well, just just living in general as a Cowboys fan, I I heard it's not easy that easy now. Easy, <laughs> you know what? But you also you, know you, you had to drive through North Philly, right? For the most part, yes, <laughs> yes. And we're we're not even gonna go there. Uh, I mean, it's not Camden, New Jersey, but it's not too far away. Um, <laughs> but that all being said, last time I I lived there was the last time the Phillies were were relevant. Uh, the days of Doc Holliday may rest in peace. Um, but going back to Vera Bremen, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least I would have uh, have a home game against Bremen. And do we? I uh, thought it was on the road. No, it's home. Huh. Well, then I just talk nonsense. I apologize. But no, still, Westfalenstadion. Um. Yep. But, of course, of course, we all know what the narrative is going to be and probably going to have Uwe Moyela on the color commentary because somehow he always gets the Bremen Dortmund matches on ESPN. But the, the narrative will be, of course, last season Dortmund blowing a 2-0 lead in the dying moments of the game and losing 3-2 to Vera Bremen. Now, I'm not going to go and say that that's not going to happen. However... The odds are not in favor of Bremen this time because Bremen have been pretty bad this season, and Dortmund have their have now have who was their best goal scorer. <laughs> so uh, that's obviously not good for Vera Bremen. Um, very good, I would say, for Dortmund. It's the right kind of match to come back to. If I look at the teams in the top that are uh, playing this weekend, you know, a few of them are easing in. Uh, I would say Stuttgart Union Berlin, probably not. Leverkusen Wolfsburg, probably not. El Plastico there in Wolfsburg. Uh, but Bayern get, are getting Mainz, and they're probably going to completely destroy them because Mainz are particularly bad this season. So I am breathtakingly optimistic. Bad. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am quite optimistic for Borussia Dortmund against Werder Bremen. I think it helps that you've got some players that are already back. I also, and you know, since I mentioned his name just not too long ago, I think it's great that Grigor Kobel extended his contract. Oh yeah, with Borussia we, Dortmund. maybe we should have mentioned that. That's like that's kind of a big deal. It's a massive deal. He's like one of the best keepers in the Bundesliga and in Europe, and that's that's a big deal. I mean, I'm so glad you brought it up because otherwise I would have edited this podcast and we're sitting here like, hey, we never talked about Gregor Kobe. Or Bino Gittens for that matter because he also put yeah, pen to paper. Yeah, he did. But Kobe, my opinion, significantly bigger deal than Bino Gittens. You can, as Dortmund have proven, you can find a Bino Gittens type player on a more regular basis because Dortmund do it all the time. Whereas Gregor Kobe, that's a hard one to find. And so I think that's huge. Yeah. Followed instantly by the rumors if he was going to replace Manuel Neuer at Bayern mentioned, Well, if he would do so, that would be a nice payday. But I am not seeing that whatsoever right now, to be honest. But uh, yeah, um, I said before and I'll say it again. Uh, any successful team, their foundation is always a, a great, not good goalkeeper. And Grigor Kobel most certainly is that. And I'm very, very happy that he indeed sees his long-term future with the black and yellows because otherwise he wouldn't have extended. Now, obviously, he is also glad about doubling, tripling, whatever his salary. But uh, making him a top earner is an absolute no-brainer. If there's someone who deserves to be a top earner on this Dortmund team, Gregor Kobel most certainly ranks among these players because he has been just absolutely vital to Dortmund's success uh, last season and, of course, this season already. Um, he is a, an awesome goalkeeper. Now, the only weakness he, is, he has is probably his feet. Like his passing game isn't as strong um, as it probably needs to be for a top, top goalkeeper. But, man, this guy is saving so many um, you know, decent chances, one-on-one uh, -on -one duels and whatnot. Um, and he is a presence uh, and and the vibe. Let's let's just say how it is. Um, 
that I'm just really glad that he's on our team because he is a winner and he helps Dortmund win games. Um, and so, yeah, having him extend his contract, uh, I think it's a five-year deal that he signed, right, um, is, is just enormous. And all the shit that I otherwise would give Sebastian Kehl about, you know, somewhat botched summer transfer season, um, that to me is actually more important than a transfer here and there, if I if I may say so, because he is one of our foundation and, and cornerstones, and I hope he has an injury-free season. Ditto. <laughs> Deep analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, what one last thing I wanted to say about Fulkrug uh, and Werder Bremen, um, the uh, point I tongue-in-cheek wanted to make beforehand, that, um, of course, uh, as, as much as I love to talk about automatisms, one of my a bit newer things that I like to talk about is the Curse of DX. And uh, that is actually, I think, the main strategy for Borussia Dortmund, why we're uh, mainly buying players uh, from other Bundesliga teams, is that I think the Curse of DX is real in, in football. And uh, usually that dictates that uh, Niklas Frühkug will score once or twice against Bremen um, to determine the outcome of this yes. game. Uh, just like Julian Brandt has annihilated Leverkusen a yes. lot. Uh, or Marco Reus uh, very trigger-happy against Gladbach and so on and so forth. And of course, uh, we have been at the, the bitter end of that quite often as well. Um, I'm I'm fairly confident in, uh, in Fülle, scoring in Fülle <laughs> against Bremen. Yeah, I think we're going to see, I would venture to say, two non-celebration goals from Niklas Völkrug because he's going to do the typical not really celebrate. Oh, yeah. Wasn't uh, that what Rioson did? Speaking of yes. Curse of the X, when yeah. he uh, scored that deflected yep. goal against Union Berlin. Yeah, and he also didn't celebrate. And I celebrated because I don't like Union Berlin. <laughs> um, and I, I find their style of football an affront to good taste. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So I'm always Matthias standing on his on his balcony, uh, lowering his thumbs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, but no, I think that that the curse of the X obviously don't want to have been the victim of that against Bayern uh, more than oh, once God. because you know Lewandowski. <laughs> um, and so it, it would be. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's great to see it. I like Vera Bremen. I don't have any animosity against the club. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll, I think it'll be a good match. I mean, scheduling notwithstanding and all that kind of stuff, we'll still have to see who is fit, who is tired, and so on. I hope Rangnick, who now extended his contract and has gotten Austria to the Euros, will not play Marcel Zabitza, at least not more than 45 minutes in the, the final qualifying match that they're playing now. And so that he doesn't, you know, get injured again, because I do think he can become a very important player for Dortmund this season. And so the same for all of the players that Nagelsmann nominated, because the Germany matches just don't matter. And so it'd be good to not get injured in games that don't matter. Uh, but uh, also equally positive is that it obvious Mats Hummels, who came off against Union Berlin injured, is fine. So uh, hopes are that he'll be able to play. Yeah. Now, Matthias, last question. And it's a subject that we haven't discussed yet, but uh, Jaden Sancho will obviously soonish exit Manchester United and has been, of course, heavily linked with Borussia Dortmund because Borussia Dortmund love themselves a good uh, uh, comeback of the uh, follow-on whatever son. I, I forgot the exact saying. But... Um, the prodigal the son. The prodigal son. There you go. Uh, do you think, A, that it's realistic for him to even return to the Black and Yellows, and B, if it were possible, would you like that possibility uh, or for Dortmund to seize that chance and, and sign him or or not? Well, that's a difficult question, Stefan. It is. I'm glad you asked it. Because if we think of the three high-profile returns to Dortmund... In the last 10 years. Götze, Schein, Hummels. Kagawa, Götzke, Götzke, Götzke. <laughs> uh, Götze and Hummels. So four. Only Hummels. So four. Four, yeah. But 
really the only one that I can say, ooh, impact, is Hummels. You know, um, nobody else do I really look at and go, ooh, you know, that was that was a really good move for everybody. Um, Romanticism-wise, yeah, it'd be great to have Jaden Sancho back. But I'll be perfectly honest, where's he going to play? Who's he going to push out? Not Daniel Mann. I mean, that would be crazy. Marco Royce at this point, not really. Uh, if Adeyemi is kicking, you know, is going on all cylinders, why? Bino Gittens, why? Then there's also Duranville. Like, where would his position be at Borussia Dortmund at this point in time? Um, so the short, very brief answer would be no. I don't want him back at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, I'm. I'm very much in the same camp there because I feel like he is still struggling a lot with discipline and I feel like um, at this point of his career it shouldn't be a thing he should be struggling with Um, now I think he's also struggling with mental health a little bit which is obviously something entirely different than discipline Um, but um, I don't know if it really would work out to be honest if he returned Um, of course if he played like he did uh, right before he left, then yeah, th- that would be an absolute no-brainer, but I just don't see it happening. You know, on paper, of course, <laughs> if 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 he can recreate that, yes, 100%, you have to do it, but uh, realistically, I just don't think it, it worked out like that. So um, I'm, I'm also no on, on that. Plus, I don't think it's realistic well, because uh, at this point, he is making money that Dortmund just can't correct. muster. Correct. I mean, the financial outlay that Dalton would have to put out to even come close to what the ludicrous money that Manchester United are spending on him um, would just be asinine. Dalton can't afford it. I don't think they would do that. Even if they would say, hey, come back on loan, blah, blah, blah. um, I don't see that happening. And then on top of that, like you said, because he's always been a head case type player. And I don't mean that you know, to make light of any um, depression struggles or anything like that. But in terms of, we see it, saw it in the past as well. Like if he just doesn't want to, he just won't. And you have a lot of young players in that same position. Your Dortmund would basically have to rebuild Jaden Sancho's confidence. Now it may already come back by the time he comes back to essentially his home away from home and a place where he was loved and nurtured. But the club is different since then. Um, And the people around him are different. So I just, I don't see it. And then if he does fall back on poor discipline, you know, you have to think of what's the knock-on effect for young players like in Adeyemi. Like, obviously, a Bino Gittens, um, who has that connection with both being from England. And so it just it just wouldn't make sense. I think for 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 Jaden Sancho, the best move would be to move to a different club in England and just get away from Manchester United. That is such a toxic club. Um, I, you know, I mean, go to Brighton. Honestly, go to a club like Brighton or Brentford. And play there. It's not Manchester United, but man, it is a much more nurturing environment than Manchester United or Liverpool or Manchester City. Way better. And I think that he would benefit from it also mentally. All right. Odds are he's odds are he's gonna end up at Crystal Palace where like all the Manchester United rejects seem to go. <laughs> All right, I, I'm I'm glad we uh, touched on that subject too. But now I think it's really time to end the show. Um, there are still topics that we can discuss next week, like Yusuf Moukoko's future, etc., etc. Um, but for now, Matthias, um, it was fun to be back on. Thank you, everyone out there who tuned in once again uh, after this hiatus. 